chatting away. Welcome to those of you who are on the live stream, uh, testing that out for us. You're very welcome. Welcome to those of you in the balcony. Uh, it's great to see um, everyone, everyone here this morning. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate, who you've already, um, who you've already met. We're going to look at the scriptures together this morning and then create and make some space for the Spirit of God to see what he wants to do with us all. As, um, as part of our, the series that we've been doing on uh, justice, we've been, we've been looking a little bit more focused over the last few weeks on the subjects of migration. And when I say migration, I suppose what I really mean is, you know, how, how are we to treat the stranger? How are we to treat the, the foreigner, for want of a better word? It's not a very nice word, I don't like that word, but the foreigner uh, among us. And last week, <laughs> if you were here, we had a rip-roaring morning um, looking at the uh, difficult and without question brutal uh, story from the Old Testament of, of Hagar from the book of Genesis. And I think if nothing else, uh, that story serves as an example, um, perhaps of the very opposite of what the Bible really has to say on the subject of how the stranger or how the foreigner should be treated. And we ended last week's, uh, our time together last week by asking ourselves who might be the Hagars in our lives and, and how might we all step in and how might we all advocate uh, for them. Uh, this week as we continue uh, to look at what the Bible has to say on this whole subject, I thought um, we'd maybe aim for a little bit of light relief by looking at the story of Ruth. You'll be glad to hear, yes. And, and the story of Ruth in stark contrast to the story of Hagar is much more representative I think of God's heart and indeed the whole sort of arc of the scriptures towards those in our midst who might be considered to be the other. So if you've got a Bible let's have a look at Ruth chapter one. Uh, the book of Ruth is only four chapters long. We haven't got time to read it all here. Uh, I would encourage you to go home and read it at your leisure and Again, there's a little bit of a disclaimer here, a little bit of a caveat. Whilst it's certainly, it's an Old Testament story, and so it certainly contains some cultural elements uh, that we might struggle with today. Uh, again, especially as it relates to the clear um, inequalities that existed between men and women in society at the time. There is a real sense, as I said, of the redemptive hermeneutic uh, that I mentioned last week. And so we see something of a type of Christ emerging, particularly through the character of, of Boaz, who will meet. But it's also really just through the, the threads of redemption and love and compassion and kindness that, that, that run right throughout the whole book. So, Ruth chapter 1. Um, let's have a look. Let's read the whole first chapter. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they'd lived there about 10 years, both Marlon and Kilian also 
died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown uh, kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I, have, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than it is for you. He says, falling off the stage. Um, it is more bitter for me than it is for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, Ruth is, is uh, one of those books in the Bible that many of us will remember if we had that kind of an upbringing from uh, Sunday school, but uh, one of the challenges with it is it's, it's also one of those books that more often than not gets, gets retold a little bit like a, a Disney story. You've got, um, you've got Ruth, she's sort of this Cinderella-type uh, poor maiden figure, and then there's Naomi, and she's more like um, a sort of fairy godmother looking out for Naomi, and, uh, looking out for uh, Ruth and, 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 and caring for her. And then there's Boaz, who's this sort of prince charming, knight in shining armor type who, who kind of rides in to save the day and save these poor damsels in distress. And the reality, I think, is that Ruth uh, is actually a story um, not so much about dead men, Pretty much everyone in the story, as we've read, uh, apart from Boaz, they all seem to die. Um, it, but it's actually the story, I think it's actually the story, a story about the survival and the flourishing of incredibly uh, resilient and powerful women. Uh, alongside that, I think also Ruth is one of the few uh, places in the Bible where immigrants are actually treated the way that God's laws um, command. Uh, you've got these laws right throughout the scriptures. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19 would be one example. 
says this, when a foreigner re resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And these imperatives about how the stranger should be treated, they're, they're littered right throughout both Old and New Testament texts. Uh, this idea, the phrase, uh, welcoming the stranger, or some format of it, is, is the most often repeated commandment in the Hebrew scriptures, with the exception of the imperative to love and worship the Lord our God. If you look at the New Testament, again, you see that it's the love of our neighbor, the love of your neighbor, especially our more vulnerable neighbor that, that echoes right throughout the New Testament as this constant refrain. And so this, uh, for the stranger um, or the foreigner, as we uh, said, um, which as we said a couple of weeks ago, actually describes pretty much all of us um, here at some point or another in our lives, whether we find ourselves here this morning having ending up here from some other part of this country or whether we found ourselves here um, having ended up from some other part of the world. Um, it's encouraging, it's heartening for us to, to, to grasp that there's an entire book in the Bible given over to the just treatment and the kingdom welcome of the foreigner, and that's the book of Ruth. And as again, I was reflecting on this and just some things I read this week, uh, maybe something that we should be asking ourselves sort of kind of like when we were tackling the subjects of environment uh, and, and, and climate change, is why in our churches, and when I say in our churches, I include this one, why are we not hearing more about what the Bible has to say about some of these more challenging subjects? Subjects like race, um, gender inequality, sexuality and hear uh, the way that immigrants uh, should be treated. And um, all I think I can really say into that is hopefully we're beginning to tackle uh, some of these topics and others through this whole series that we're, we're doing on justice. But I really just want to acknowledge that I think perhaps we've been remiss in not doing that uh, sooner. Uh, but for now, let's get back to Ruth. The whole story begins in, in Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem, one of the, the meaning of that is it's a house of bread. The problem is there's, there's no more bread in the house. Uh, there's this famine uh, in the land, and it's a severe enough famine, and it lasts long enough that people begin to migrate to leave their homes in search of food. And this includes, as we've read, a man named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, who leave uh, their home country with their two sons, uh, Mar Marlon and Killian, to, to migrate to the neighboring uh, Moab. And, and there, these, um, these environmental, environmental migrants, uh, which is effectively probably what we would call them today, environmental or um, economic migrants, they, they've been forced by uh, famine, they've been forced by crop failure to, to flee uh, their homeland and, and they decide to stay in their newly adopted country and, and try and build and establish a life for themselves there. And for them, you know, for many years everything is good. Things are good, life is good, there's plenty of food. You know, the young uh, chaps grow into young men, they, they marry Moabite women, they marry Orpah and uh, Ruth and then all of a sudden everything 
changes again, catastrophically. Uh, Elimelech dies, um, and if that weren't bad enough, shortly after that, both the young chaps also die, and because they die with no children, uh, at that time in this culture, that's a pretty major deal, and so the situation is pretty dire. And so now all of these three women, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, they're all widows. And all of this, as is the way of the scriptures, all of this happens in the first five verses of chapter one. Um, now for these three women, the reality, as I said, for this, of this situation is very serious. And truth be told, the, their chances of survival are pretty bleak. It's not looking good for them, even though God has specifically outlined care for the vulnerable in the law it's written in the law you know that we should be and they should be paying attention and looking after people like widows orphans immigrants and the poor sadly and i know this will come as a great shock to all of you apparently even god's own people don't always pay attention to god's direction and so despite there being provision in the law Life often didn't go well for people like Naomi and her daughters-in-law. And we saw that really illustrated pretty graphically through last week's story of, um, of Hagar. So these women, and, and again, you know, lest we make the mistake of relegating the cultural context of this story to the sort of annals of history, just like far too many women today, they find themselves in a very precarious situation. Back in Ruth's day, uh, the ancient world was an agrarian society in which um, widows, uh, orphans, immigrants, and the poor had no social power whatsoever, and so they would find themselves living, if at all, on the subsistence level. Uh, in today's urbanized world, in our modern world, um, Ruth, I don't know, perhaps she might have become a, a scavenger uh, trawling through the mountains of landfill, you know, generated by huge uh, cities across the world. Think of like places like Mumbai or Mexico City or something like that. Uh, because when tragedy strikes, as it does with Naomi and Ruth, you know, whether it was through famine or whether it was drought or a war, it was always the poor and the vulnerable. It's always the poor and the vulnerable who are the first to suffer and perish. And tragically, that's still the case for, for too many people today. Uh, that's what's happening right now in countries like um, Syria, Yemen, Afghanistan, Eritrea, Myanmar, and others, uh, where conflicts and human rights abuses have caused people to flee. Um, it's happening in places like Mozambique, the Philippines, India, and others where climate change and natural disasters are causing people to have to migrate. And the the impact um, on the poor it doesn't solely affect you know, the poorest and furthest flung corners of the world. It's also happening here in southwest London, you know, where more often than not it's the elderly, it's the homeless, it's the single parents, it's refugees, it's children who are particularly vulnerable to poverty, to exploitation, to abuse. But back to Ruth and after all the tragedy of the first five verses, uh, good news um, soon reaches uh, Naomi, and there's food again in Bethlehem. And so she can return home and hopefully find the sustenance she needs from among her own people. And so um, Naomi and Ruth go back to Bethlehem. Again, it's another probably very perilous journey. 
Um, but the timing of their arrival, their arrival couldn't be better given their circumstances because when they arrive, it's the beginning of the barley harvest. And as we've said, under the law, God has given his people, you know, this is good news um, for those like Ruth and Naomi who are vulnerable. Deuteronomy chapter 24 makes provision for this very situation. It says this, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, you know, you forget, you, you don't notice, you don't harvest a sheaf, don't go back and get it, leave it for the foreigner, for the fatherless and for the widow, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olives from your trees, don't go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And we don't have time to go into all of this uh, right now, but this really does uh, tie back into what we were talking about when we were looking at um, the environment and climate change. And really, what, it, what God is commanding effectively is that how we farm how we produce food in this instance, how we treat you know, the natural riches and abundance of creation. These, um, these aren't matters of economics or efficiency alone. These are actually moral um, choices. These are actually acts of worship where the bottom line isn't merely measured um, on a balance sheet, but on the scales of God's justice. And so, just as relevant for us today as it was to Boaz as a landowner and as to Ruth, a farm worker, um, if our farming, in this case, um, or you can extrapolate it out to, you know, if our business or if our shopping or if our investments are harming the poor or destroying our planet, then it could be argued that our work or our activity has actually become idolatrous and therefore our worship is meaningless. See, these resources, um, yes, they are ours to work and to till, but they were, they were never really ours to own absolutely. They were never ours to exploit, um, especially if that's to the detriment of the poor or the refugee or the earth itself or any other species on the planet. Uh, anyway, that's all for free. That's an aside and that's for another day. Uh, someone else can pick that up with a bigger brain than me. Uh, in the story of Ruth, we actually find these commandments um, really beautifully uh, followed. And it, it really serves as a wonderful illustration um, and a picture. It paints this picture of this, this vision of this community that, that cares for immigrants, cares for others, it cares for those who find themselves in vulnerable situations. But um, specifically, what might this look for us as we consider those who find themselves coming to our shores? Well, the first thing I think is that we can see from, this is from chapter two, is that Ruth was, Ruth was welcomed. Um, have a look at verse 10 in chapter two. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Boaz, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, um, a foreigner? And you'll see it when you read the story. You'll just see more about the welcome that is given to her. And Ruth, this, this foreigner, this stranger, she's welcomed by Boaz. She's welcomed onto his field uh, and fields, and, and that's where she gleans. And whatever, as we've said, what, what have we seen? Um, whatever the harvesters have left behind, just as the scriptures have indicated, that's, um, that's for her to take home to her mother-in-law. 
You know, and Boaz, he's crewed up enough. He knows that this immigrant girl, even though she's come from Moab, and, and Mo the Moabites were the sworn enemies of the Israelites um, and those in Judah, he, he knows that, um, in spite of all of that, he knows that according to the law, even she uh, was entitled to work for her livelihood. And so she's welcomed. And I suppose a question for us this morning would be, how are we actively extending a welcome, the, the welcome of the kingdom to those who are moving into our neighborhoods, those who are moving onto our streets? Uh, it could even be those who are visiting our church, um, irrespective of where they come from. You know, can we be sure, I mean, just here in this context this morning, can we be sure, hand on heart, and say confidently that every single person who has come through those doors here this morning will leave saying, I was made to feel so incredibly welcome. Uh, the second thing, uh, Ruth, I think, is shown dignity. Have a look at verse 8. Uh, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Uh, don't go away from here. Uh, Boaz is encouraging. He's saying, like, stay here. Stay here with the women and, and work for me. And, and, and Boaz effectively enables Ruth. She, he enables her to have the dignity that comes from working and earning a decent living. And, and the work that she does, you know, it's not humiliating, it's not demeaning. We might look at it and think that sounds terrible. But in this context, this culture, it wasn't uh, demeaning. It was hard work, just as all agricultural work is. But it was exactly the kind of work that most people uh, did in the ancient world of Judah. Um, Ruth isn't doing the jobs that nobody else would be willing to do. And again, that's relevant for us today because many of the people who find themselves coming to our shores from wherever in the world, so often they're incredibly highly qualified and accomplished people back in their country of origin. Um, and they are here unable to access those workspaces that they're used to. And so they spend long hours doing backbreaking work uh, in fields as cleaners, working in kitchens and restaurants, doing work that many of us wouldn't even consider doing. Uh, but Ruth is welcomed into Boaz's fields and, and she's invited and shown the dignity to do um, the work that any citizen in need would have done at the time. And then thirdly, uh, Ruth is entitled uh, not just to the dignity of a job, but she's also shown respect. Uh, have a look at verse 9 in chapter 2. Um, Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Again, this is Boaz. And follow along after the women. I've told the men... You're going to love this. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And wherever you are, whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Now, granted, it, it reads, hopefully, a little odd uh, in our day that Boaz needs to remind his workers that there should be um, no harassment, there should be no sexual or physical assault. You know, and, and we read this and we think, well, that sounds like a pretty low bar, but the point is that, that Boaz is advocating for her in such a way that means that just because she's poor, just because she's a vulnerable immigrant, that doesn't mean to say that she should have to endure the humiliation and mistreatment and degradation that would have been the experience of so many. And again, sadly, you know, we're saying this is kind of sticks in our throats as we read it, but... Um, the reality is that many immigrants today 
have no such protection, you know, especially as they make their journeys from their country of origin. And so, so many fall foul to the predatory exploitations and abuses of the traffickers that they're relying on and paying huge amounts of money to to get them to safety. But Boaz ensures that Ruth is safe and is treated as respectfully as any one of his workers. And then lastly, um, Ruth is extended hospitality. Have a look at verse 14 in chapter 2. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. Now, Boaz invites Ruth to join him at his table where she breaks bread with him and her workers. Boaz extends this true hospitality, this philoxenia that, you know, it's called in the New Testament, we looked at in week one, this love of foreigners, this love of strangers. And again, for us, the question might be today, how might we be extending the welcome and the hospitality of the kingdom of God? You know, especially now restrictions are beginning to ease, to invite one another and especially the stranger to sit at our tables and eat with us and on that while I still remember because I'm going to forget um, Tom and Sarah Williams and a whole bunch of other people are going on a walk this afternoon and you're all invited um, they're going to meet in the foyer after church and then head off uh, to the telegraph for about half past 12 is that right and then be at the telegraph about one but they'll be in the foyer and then head off somewhere on Putney Heath and Wimbledon Common and sort of up and down the A3. It's like going to be a lovely walk. Um, if you are new or visiting or you've been here forever and would like, Tom and Sarah are very friendly, um, and you would be welcome to join them. So um, Tom and Sarah are just over there. Go and um, join them. But, you know, how are we inviting and welcoming uh, the stranger? So, as we come into land here this morning, you'll be glad to hear. Um, how would we welcome a Ruth, uh, or indeed a, a Naomi, if we saw one, if we met one? And perhaps, equally important, um, is to ask ourselves the question, would we ever come across a Ruth or a Naomi? Would we ever meet one? And if not, why, why not? what's happening in our lives that mean that the Ruths of this world and the names of this world aren't in our sphere um, of connection. In the book of Ruth, um, we see a picture of the uh, immigrant and the citizen working together side by side for the flourishing of their communities and their concern. You know, it's not just for their own security or their own economic interest. Nobody's just looking out for their own country hiding behind um, barriers and walls. Uh, they're not just looking out for their own ethnic group. Nobody considers themselves to be superior. Um, uh, nobody subjugates the powerless. Uh, in the story of Ruth, you've got this um, lovely example of human beings behaving and acting and being their best selves and following the commands of God. And as a result, everybody thrives, not just survives and there are you know there are so many um themes that emerge through this very short book you know it's god's provision through hardship uh, welcoming the foreigner welcoming the stranger honor for the family uh, generous hospitality love for god love for family love for the stranger love for the neighbor um 
There's also, I think, uh, an importance in the book centered on the experiences and on the relationships and really the resilience of um, women uh, in a time and in a culture where women were marginalized, I think is really uh, inspirational. But as we continue uh, reflecting on this, hopefully you'll reflect on this over the course of this week, let's keep asking ourselves, you know, who might be the Ruths in our lives and, and, and how would we meet them? And then once we've met them, how can we serve them? How can we become the welcome of the kingdom of God? How can we express the dignity of the kingdom of God? How can we demonstrate the respect of the kingdom of God? And how can we extend the hospitality of the kingdom of God? Why don't you stand? If we can have the worship team back.